Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Matthew chapter 7. We have been over the last several weeks navigating through a series on disciple making. And if you are just joining us or you hear that word and you go, disciple, what? What is a disciple? What is what what are you even talking about? Um, Simply put a disciple, as we talked about last week, every one of us is a disciple of something because a disciple is simply someone who follows after something else. Um, Someone who is being trained by someone or something else in order to become like something or someone else. And so every one of us at some level is being made or following after in a way that we would become something or someone that we are not yet. Uh, whether that is career driven, whether that is financially driven, whether that is success driven, whether that is relationally driven. You fill in the blank. Every one of us is a disciple of something. Our mission here is that we would be equipped as disciples or followers of Jesus, that our aim is that we would not just be followers of anything, but that we would follow him who is the only way. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've unpacked this formula that is uh, an, a man-made formula, but rooted in biblical principles. And we've talked about the TW aspect of this, which stood for what? Time with everyone say time with. So when we think about disciple making the way Jesus made disciples, we first recognize that in order to be someone who is growing in a disciple making way of life, that is, we're following the example of Jesus. It starts by spending time with people. It starts by recognizing that uh, I'm going to be intentional to stir my brothers and sisters up. Towards an aim that is not my own aim, but is God's aim given to us in Christ. I'm going to be faithful to do that. And the time with the TW element, this might be the simplest piece of disciple making. Because guess what? You're already doing it. In some way or another, you spend time with people every week. At some level. Whether it's time with people over the phone, whether it's time with people in person, whether it's time with people in your job, you are surrounded by time with people. The question becomes, when I'm spending time with people, how do I think in regards to living a way of life that says I'm going to be a follower of Jesus as I spend time with people? How does my focus become one that is that? Now, this brings up one very practical question, which is, what is the reason that we are spending time with others? At at some level, every one of us should be able to answer that question. 
what reason do I have for spending time with others? Is it to grow in friendship? Is it to say that we spent time with someone? To check that box? Is it to do what someone else told us to do? I'm, I'm no stranger to the fact that sometimes we hear a message from God's word and we go out and do something. And if someone were to ask us, well, why did you do that? Your answer would be, well, Pastor Matt said I should. Right? Um, none of those are the reason that we should be carrying out the mission of being disciple makers who follow after Jesus and help others to do the same. Now, this formula up here, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll notice an addition to this, and it's K4. And K4 is rooted in this understanding of Kavanaugh. Everyone say Kavanaugh. And Kavanaugh is a Hebrew word that actually means direction, intention, or purpose. Direction, intention, or purpose. And when we think about the reason that God's given us his word, the reason God's given us other people to stir us up, at the root of all of this and answering the question, why? For what purpose, Kavanaugh, for what intention or in what direction is God calling us to gather together, spend time with one another? What is the biblical answer to that question? So if you can imagine with me a a bullseye for disciple making. Uh, When we spend time with other people, we want to have our sights set on the center of whatever that bullseye is from a biblical perspective. Kavanaugh becomes the direction that we should aim the arrow of our life and therefore our time. So when answering the question, what reason are we spending time with others for? If I am a disciple of Jesus, if I am here to follow after Jesus and to help others do the same, then that bullseye biblically ends up looking something like this. And this is what we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about, is these four concepts that make up Kavanaugh on what should be our aim as a people. Kavanaugh being studying scripture to know God. That's going to be the primary focus of the day. Prayerfulness. Extravagantly loved by God to love other people. And all of life, seeing all of life as worship. If we look throughout scripture, you're not going to find any one passage that just lays out all of these together. This would be one of the reasons that we say if we're going to know scripture, if we're going to study scripture, we need to do so to to see the the whole breadth of scripture, not just the pieces that you and I may like. Um, Though that's a lot easier for us to do, uh, you and I have a tendency to gravitate towards that which sounds good to us. Um. That, that's true both with what we eat and what we read, right? Um, if, I'm, if I'm hungry for something, um, if I'm looking for something, I'm going to gravitate towards that which satisfies whatever that need is. Scripture will do that. However, if you spend any amount of time in God's word, what you're going to find is that uh, oftentimes what I need most is not what I actually think I need most. Um, rather, I, I continually come back to this illustration that you and I are often like spiritual toddlers. And I will tell you that uh, if I gave my kids the option between eating ice cream at every meal and having substance, substance 
they will choose ice cream every time. Right? And some of you are sitting there going, I would choose ice cream every time. And the reality is, if we were to step into that way of thinking, eventually we're going to make ourselves sick. The same is true about how we approach God's word. If we are looking for the ice cream of scripture, if you would, those sweet aspects of what God is offering to me or what encourages me or sounds good. If that's all we're looking for, eventually we will become very spiritually sick when we contrast that with God's ultimate desire that we would be a people that glorify him. That we are a people who are in sin apart from Christ. And he's given us the opportunity to be made new, to be transformed, to grow and mature in a way that honors his name, not our own. And so I'm encouraging you as we dive into these and continue to move this way that you would endure and eventually come to crave the spiritual meat and potatoes, if you will. And to yearn for that which motivates us beyond what we are comfortable with or what may taste good in the moment to that which will sustain us for the long road ahead. Now, Matthew chapter 7 begins this kind of journey today as we look specifically at what does it mean to study scripture to know God. And Matthew chapter 7, we enter into a, a, a period of time where Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus here, if, if, you, uh, if you were to glance back at the beginning of chapter 5, it's Jesus seeing the crowds, goes up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opens his mouth and begins to teach them. So the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, is being spoken directly to the disciples of Jesus. So if you are here and you're going, I want to know how to follow Jesus better, um, then we can bring ourselves to a place of going, okay, Jesus is seeking to teach his followers how their lives should look. What is this supposed to look like? And in chapter 7, starting in verse 21, he gives this warning that should humble us. It should bring a weightiness and some further questions that we're going to seek to answer today. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, we read a passage like this and it invokes some sense of discomfort in us when we stop and we consider that there will be people on the day of judgment who stand before God and identify we've done all these things in the name of Jesus and yet... What is the dividing factor between these individuals and God himself? It is found in that statement. I never knew you. I never knew you. 
it brings up this truth that there's a difference between uh, God's knowledge of us in creation and God's knowledge of us in redemption. And what I mean by that is in creation, if we look at Genesis chapter two, we know that all human beings are made in God's what? God's image. You, regardless of where you have come from, regardless of your background, regardless of your struggles, regardless, it doesn't matter. All people are made in the sovereign image of God. And it's the very reason there should be a greater value held towards humanity than any other created entity. No other created entity bears the image of God. Psalm 19 says, all creation declares his glory. But you and I, and those all around the world, of every tribe and tongue and language and nation, make up the very image of God himself. Yet, because of our sin, because of our shortcomings, there is separation between us and God. God has made a way for us to know him. Through creation, through his word, but even more importantly, through his son, Jesus. Who, though we were yet in our sins, gave himself as a sacrifice for you and I, so that we could not simply say that we are redeemed and saved, but so that we had direct access to the father himself. So when we step back and we look at this, I am known by God at a created level, regardless of what I believe. But I am only known by God at an eternal level through Christ. There's many people in our culture today who paint God in this light of being this really laid back guy who says, I I love all of you. It's okay, whoever you are. And whatever you've done and whatever you do, you're good. Because I made you. And it's going to be fine. Except for the fact that the Bible says it's not fine. It's not fine. And that's the reason Jesus had to suffer and die. Because it wasn't fine. So for us to say that it's all fine and I'm good regardless of who I am and what I've done... Apart from Christ, if, if I say there's no need because God loves me the way I am, I am undermining the very hope that we, I've been given through Jesus. And instead, there is this great hope we cling to that is not this hope that somehow God will just look past you and I's sinfulness, but in fact that God has already paid the penalty in Jesus for our sinfulness. Therefore, he is the only way to the Father. So we come to this place of needing to ask this question. Do we actually know the God of the Bible? Or have we created this formulation of who God is out of our own longings and wants? Do do I know the God who gave us the, the very word that we possess? Do I know the God who gave us his only son that whoever believes in him would have life? Do, do I, am I worshiping the right God? And, and this leads to another question. What's the difference between someone who knows about God 
and one who knows God. What's the difference between someone who knows about God and one who knows God? Now, we're going to come back to Matthew chapter 7 at the very end, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you are using one of the Bibles that was in the pew, that's going to be on page 1136. First Corinthians chapter eight. And in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always called Paul. His original name was Saul. And if you want to know his story, jot down Acts chapter nine and read that this week. But Paul here devoted to discipling other people towards Jesus, helping them to follow Jesus. He's encountering a, a conflict that's existing amongst the church in Corinth at this time where they were uh, arguing over how food that had been offered to idols could be used. So put, putting that in context, this is what this is written about. Um, some people thought that they could eat the food that had been offered to idols because it's just food. Other people were conflicted about this and said, I don't think we should be eating this food because it's been offered to idols. And that, that's just not a good idea. So that's the overarching issue Paul's confronting here. But he identifies something really important about knowing God. In verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, quote unquote, puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, a couple of observations we can make. We can imagine or think we know something without really knowing it. When I read this, the first picture that came to my mind was those of you who open up a new... You ordered something online and you have to assemble it and you open it up and you discard the instructions... Right. And what is what what is it? Most of most of you who do this are are men. And and what do you say? Right. I know what I'm doing. And yet in that moment, unless you have assembled said product before. You are simply imagining that, you know, what you're doing. Right. Uh, and, And maybe you get fortunate enough to actually succeed. And then it kind of puffs up your ego and you go, see, I knew what I was doing. Or you get in the middle of it and you end up ripping the whole thing apart out of frustration. Right? Because I didn't actually know what I thought I knew. The the same applies to our spiritual lives. Where you and I can come to church, we can check the boxes, we can be someone who says, Ah, you know what, I've heard the Bible taught, I don't really need more instruction, I know what I'm doing. Or, I know God. You know, because I I grew up in church and I I learned about God, but I don't actually take the time to study and yearn and grow in my knowledge of who he is. And in that case, I become like the person who imagines that I know something and yet I don't know it at all. Probably the most dangerous place that we could be in. To think I know, but to actually not know. And yet it clarifies something here. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. 
This resonates when we uh, stop and we think about um, even some other places in Scripture that speak about this. We think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, as we talked about it a few weeks back. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus repeats this in Matthew 22 when he is questioned about what is the greatest commandment. And he said, love, essentially, love God and love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor being second to loving God. So this brings up a a follow-up question to even this. If knowing God equates to loving God, then what does it look like to love God? If if I'm coming back to Matthew 7 and I'm going... uh, He never knew them. I'm going, okay, how can I make sure? What 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 does it look like to know God? Well, if anyone loves God, he's known by God. So there's, there's a correlation here. So if knowing God equates to loving God, being known by God, what does it look like to love God? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. Now, as you're turning there, if you're, oh, by the way, if you're using a pew Bible, this is page 1071, John chapter 14. And the context of this is Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Um, and this would be the context around the Last Supper. This is before Jesus is arrested. And he's sitting and answering questions as his disciples are seeking to learn from him. And he begins to to talk to them. And that's where we get the very beginning of 14, that emphasis in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That was said to his disciples to remind them there is only one way. But then if we move past that into verse 15, Jesus says something else to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So if we ask the question, if knowing God equates to loving God, what does it look like to love God? And we look at the exhortations of Jesus to love God looks like keeping his commandments. Then we can surmise by following a logical train of thought that knowing God looks like obedience to God. You see, that if I if I. If if I'm known by God and know God, then it's rooted in a love I have for God. And if I really love God, then I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. And we can follow this train of thought. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I'm almost done making you run all over scripture. Um, This, if you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's going to be page 1210. 1 John chapter 2.
Once again, we have John writing here to followers of Jesus. So you're catching a theme here. The instruction being to those who already say, I follow after him. And in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So there's the aim. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, that's the substitute for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's the gospel family. That's the good news. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, Jesus becomes not just our sacrifice, not just the propitiation, as the scripture says, not just the substitute where we can say my sins are paid for. Jesus becomes the very example of what it looks like to live as one who knows God. Jesus becomes the standard by which we fix our eyes. That's why Hebrews 12 tells us, since we're surrounded by all of these people who have testified to the faithfulness of God, let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The one through whom all authority has been given in heaven and on earth. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. And so we step back and we realize that if I'm going to abide in him, I'm, I, I'm, I'm striving to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. And this is where we end up with this gap. And so you can follow this train of thought that we, we get... As we consider Matthew 7, and I'm going to encourage you to go back there. Knowing God looks like loving God or stems from loving God, which looks like obeying God. Now, some people navigate this and then they go, well, wait a minute. I didn't think that what we did in obedience to God saves us. And I would say, correct, it doesn't. Because Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of works so that no one can boast. So that none of us can stand before God someday and go, look what I've done. I deserve to be with you because of all that I've done. No, you don't. Because the only thing that can get us to the Father is Christ. The only way is through Jesus. So then in that case, what in the world is, how, how do we understand obedience to God. In other words, what is the difference between people who keep God's commandments because they know and are known by God versus those who keep the commandments or try to because they know the commandments? Look at Matthew 7 once again and specifically at verse 22. 
where it says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do so many mighty works, do many mighty works in your name? What was the appeal of the people to God? God, look at all that we've done. Look at all that we've done in your name. We, we did this in the name of Jesus. We did this in his name. And here's what I want you to cling, hold, cling to, family. To understand the depth of this. When we think about studying scripture to know who God is, not just to know about God. We can do a lot for God and know nothing about God. But we cannot truly know God and do nothing for God. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. We can do a lot for God in his name and know nothing about God. But we cannot truly know God and not do anything for God. This is the bridged gap between people who wrestle with, well, am I saved by what I do or am I saved by Christ? No, you're saved by Christ. But if I'm saved by Christ, has it transformed me? Has it, has it changed my very drive and focus in life and purpose? And I'll be honest with you, family. I've had a couple people come up to me today and just say, are, are you okay? You just seem, you just seem a little down. And uh, to be honest with you, like this very concept has just convicted me this week. Because family, we can become so busy doing all kinds of good things and miss God completely in the process. And, and when I ask people how they're doing today, the number one response, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. The number one response is, ah, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm so busy. And, and I sit back and I go, man, I, I think most of the time we're missing it. I'm missing it. I, I can do all of these things. And, and even you all can observe and go, man, Matt's doing a lot for the Lord. And I can miss God completely in the process. And so as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm challenged, family, that we don't become a people who are just doing the things and checking the boxes because there is an unbridled amount of good things that you and I can do. There is an unmatched potential amount of things that our families can do, whether it's activities or set our sights on or whatever. And yet what Paul identifies takes place in Philippians is that all of it is lost compared to knowing Christ. Right? So in the scope of all of it, I want to challenge you with some of these questions. When we get together, do we seek to know more about God or help each other truly know God and follow Him? There's a difference. We could be a really knowledgeable people and do nothing. When we pray, do we pray out of a yearning to know God or do we pray out of a yearning to get more out of him? And when we read scripture together, do we do so to know more about God or to know him that we might be more like Jesus? 
So as we step back and we think about these things, I want to challenge us as a people to change our perspective instead of knowing more about God so that we can debate people about God or have all this head knowledge and head space that I know scripture or this and that, that instead we would yearn and strive for a knowing of God that extends far deeper than a surface level of facts. And instead looks like obedience to him. That we would love God with such awe and wonder as we've sung about earlier. How great is our God. Name above all names. Worthy of our praise. Our heart will sing how great, how great is our God. But is that how we live? For us to step back and evaluate. Do the things that consume the most of my life drive us towards God? Or do they, are they just done in the name of God? And that we would strip down, as Hebrews 12 would say, lay aside every weight and sin that hinders us from running with endurance. So, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing one last song. And I want us to just process through and think about these, these truths. And understand, God has made a way for us to know Him. Not only through His Word, through Jesus, through the the Spirit of God's presence in our lives. And there is no greater aim for us than to fix our eyes on Christ and run with endurance pursuing Him. That we would set our aim, Kavanaugh, our purpose, our direction on knowing God and the fullness of who He is, who He's revealed Himself to be. And then what we do would be an overflow of knowing Him more and growing in our understanding of why He's called us to what He has for His purposes above anything else. So we're going to sing this last song, this, this, the words of this song. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. All right? And then at the end of this, before we leave, we're going to pray that prayer together of uh, we've it's called the disciple makers prayer to commission us as we leave here to follow Jesus with abandon and surrender. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of Jesus. Thank you for the joy of salvation. The Lord, help this to root deep into who we are, that we would be a people possessed by you untethered from the world itself and free to live and do as you have called us to do. Lord, make us more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray.